From third-generation real estate attorney and New York Press Club award-winning podcaster, Hal Coopersmith, this is Broker's Angle. Welcome to Broker's Angle. I'm Hal Coopersmith, and in this episode, we talk about new requirements for residential leasing, and our 30-minute or less interview is with Renee Hamilton, who talks about how he got into the business and growing his network. And so doing that sort of fundraising and friend raising is something I get to spend a lot of time doing. And like you, it helps you build a funnel and expand your network. And I think in general, people appreciate passionate and energetic people. Like as if you care about causes, it reflects well on who you are. You probably care about your work. I think the same passion I bring to Cure, I bring to my tenants and the, the work I do in this business. But first, Brokers Angle is sponsored by the law firm of Coopersmith & Coopersmith, a boutique real estate law firm practicing in commercial and residential real estate for over 87 years. This, of course, is attorney advertising, so we are obligated to say prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome. But Hal, I know you're going to be better than me. That is always so kind of you to say, Richard. So we generally talk about commercial leasing on the podcast, but I want to change things up and talk about residential leasing. Residential leasing is certainly not as sophisticated as commercial leasing, but now there's a lot more for residential landlords to do and keep track of under the Housing Stability and Tenant Protection Act, or the HSTPA. As a result of the Housing Stability and Tenant Protection Act passed last year, there are a lot more requirements for residential landlords. These include sending a notice of non-renewal, a rent increase notice, offering a walkthrough before the end of the term, and returning a security deposit within two weeks from the end of the term. That's a lot for residential landlords, managing agents, and brokers to keep track of, so we developed a proprietary platform called ResCube, which keeps track of all the deadlines a residential landlord has under their lease. All you need to do is enter in some simple information, including the start date, end date, and contact information through our secure portal, and Rescue sends timed email and text messages to the owner, managing agent, and broker, letting them know what they have to do. To learn more about Rescue, go to rescueme.com. That's R-E-Z-C-U-E-M-E dot com. So with that, let's go to our interview with Renee Hamilton. So before real estate, something I found interesting, you used to be a school teacher. Yes, I spent six and a half, seven years teaching. You know, went back up to the hill, taught at Riverdale and Fieldston, avoided Horace Mann where we went. But, you know, it was great to reconnect to those roots and go back up to the Bronx. I had a good time. And why did you decide to leave being a teacher and go into real estate? I really, I, I loved literature, love teaching the Odyssey and Shakespeare, but I was really impressed and motivated by some of the parents I worked with, right? When you teach at a New York State prep school, you're teaching entrepreneurs' kids, right? And I was amazed by the array of careers that I was exposed to and just the cool work that some of the parents were involved in. And 
I really just like the relationship that I would develop with a parent through, you know, my work in the classroom with their kid. And I was like, you know what? I actually kind of prefer working, talking to your parent more than I enjoy talking with some of the kids. And so I was like, maybe that's a sign that's my time to switch gears. Ironically, my first deal in the business, I did my first deal in under a year, and it was with a Fieldston parent who saw that my LinkedIn had changed and I was doing office leasing. And she was like, Renee, I have a lease expiration coming up. I don't know what to do. And it, it was, it, it was you know, a great first rodeo. We you know, probably set the bar too high because the business, business usually isn't that easy, <laughs> as, as you know. How did you get up to speed in real estate? You're changing careers from, from being a teacher. What are the, the steps that you needed to take by doing that in addition to, to taking the plunge? Well, it's really focused on building your network. Right. Networking, you know, it gave me a chance to network with old classmates from Horace Mann. I got into the business uh, reconnecting to Robin Fisher, who at the time was, you know, and still is at Newmark. And I think she had just won a, you know, broker, young broker of the year or one of those awards. And she helped me sort of find a shop. One, you have to get hired, right? So finding a shop that will train you, show you the ropes, maybe introduce you to some business. And so one is networking because you need that first gig, right? That first company or team that's going to take a risk on you. I think the fact that I was a little bit older getting into the business, you know, I'd done a couple, I've had some work experience. People knew I could get along with people. You know, I wasn't shy. I, I was willing to put myself out there, you know, chase business cold call, you know, there was lots of phone calls, getting comfortable with people telling you no. My my first partner, mentor was Bert Rosenblatt, who always said, you know, no is the second best answer, right? Because, you know, you want to get to a no as opposed to a maybe or someone stringing you along. So just, you know, being being persistent, right? And recognizing that in real estate, you're playing the long game. And so the fact that I had jo- I started my career late, I, I had to sort of, you know, put ego aside and say, hey, you're going to have to build and write, develop a name for yourself. And I'm glad that you brought up networking and building a funnel, because one of the things that you had mentioned before we went on air is that you are very big on building funnels and you've been denied an opportunity to get funding for, for building a funnel. But later on, people who you worked with saw the value of what you were doing. So can you talk a little bit more about those situations, what you saw that other people didn't see and how you were able to overcome that? One thing I should add, when I got into the business, I was part of a pipeline development program called Project REAP. And Project REAP trains professionals either early in their career or mid-career in some of the real estate fundamentals, right? Things from office leasing to development, retail, uh, take, takes all of the sort of components of commercial real estate and introduces it to a community that isn't necessarily connected to real estate families. And, you know, what I saw there were just sort of professionals who were motivated, smart, and looking to get a shot in this industry. And so after I graduated REAP and, you know, spent a couple more years in the business, I became a board member of an organization called CURE, Q 
Cure's Council of Urban Real Estate. And what Cure does is it wants to build a pipeline of diverse professionals in the real estate industry in New York City. And so we've been fortunate enough to recently partner with Revni. We're talking to some of the other trade associations just to say there are a lot of talented people out there that could really help shape the future of this industry if they, one, know about real estate and two, are given an opportunity. So I, I find it to be a privilege to be able to work with those organizations, which also gives me a chance to connect with and meet um, other brokers, right, or other real estate professionals. One of the the two co-chairs of the Revenue Diversity Committee are Darcy Stakem, who everyone in New York knows, and this is a real passion of hers, and she's a real advocate for helping Revney to build stronger diversity programs. And then Bernard Warren, who was a long time you know, member of the diversity committee. And he was actually the person that helped to bridge the connection between Cure and Revney. And what we're trying to do is sort of say, hey, Revney, let's invest in developing a pipeline and develop a model through which other organizations can learn how to develop a pipeline so that the industry can be more reflective of New York City. And I think that message is catching on. And so can you talk a little bit more about your role within Cure? So I, I like to say I'm sort of the partnerships guy, you know, so because I'm in the business and I know an array of landlords, owners, brokers, I just try to be a cheerleader for what the work Cure does, right? So connecting my network to the organization, right? So a couple of years ago, I had a friend at CBRE who also was a diversity champion. I was like, hey, you know, we really need some funding because, you know, we're trying to put on programs where people who aren't in real estate can come and network with real estate professionals. You know, we're a volunteer organization. We're a membership-driven organization. And so it's hard to get corporate dollars, but they help and it goes a long way. And so doing that sort of fundraising and friend raising is something I get to spend a lot of time doing. And like you, it helps you build a funnel and expand your network. And I think in general, people appreciate passionate and energetic people. Like as if you care about causes, it reflects well on who you are. You probably care about your work. And I think the same passion I bring to Cure, I bring to my tenants and the, the work I do in this business. And just to touch on that a little bit more... Jumping into real estate is, and particularly as a broker, probably a very difficult endeavor. And then I'm sure in terms of adding diversity in real estate is probably adding a, a magnitude of difficulty higher. What are some of the, the challenges in terms of bringing in more diversity into the industry? Well, you know, I think the, the one that's probably least talked about is the compensation structure, right? You know, it's an entrepreneurial business, you know, you need to have the ability to withstand downtimes. And in a industry where the motto is, you know, you eat what you kill, that's something that's shocking to most people. But I think companies, CBRE, Colliers to Extend, and others have developed programs where you can bring in diverse talent on, you know, sort of junior associate levels and sort of provide a draw or some comp to help people build a book of business. And if it's not brokerage, you know, there are other 
salaried roles. But I think it's really about, you know, comp to a, maybe a small extent, but just finding an opportunity to match the individual with the role within the industry. I think oftentimes that might be the hardest challenge because it's such a big industry and most people can't find their way around it because they don't have a network to expose them to the different levers that make this industry go. And so turning the conversation a little bit back to what you're doing, what are some of the deals that you've worked on? Maybe you want to talk about a difficult deal or kind of a, a signature deal in addition to that that first Fieldson parent. So a signature deal, right? So I have I have a client who I've now done two leases with. It's a law firm, uh, ex-Scadden Ops partner, went to NYU Law School, middle-aged guy, really charismatic attorney like yourself. You know, you guys are really charismatic characters. Um, and Middle-aged, I'm not sure. Well, you're not middle-aged, but, you know, this New York attorney, you know, networking boundless amounts of energy. He, you know, so Gopal spun out of Scadden, launched his own firm. And when he was... He was first in a sort of WeWork shared space where he was building his business and an accountant introduced us. This is when I was at my first firm and I did his first lease and, you know, was really looking to find, you know, find a property that would allow him to one scale his business, kind of like give him that first shingle where he can sort of build something, you know, would allow him to continue to grow, hire people. And, you know, connected him with a major midtown landlord that saw him as a tenant that would sort of match the tenant mix of a building that was sort of being upgraded. And and it was it was just really great to sort of see, you know, see someone with entrepreneurial passion get a good start and a solid foundation. Right? I think that's one of the things I love watching in this business, right? You, real estate is such a crucial element of building a sustainable business. And then last December, he called me and said, Renee, we're running out of space. I need an expansion. And so I was able to negotiate terms for him to expand within his building, right? So you're tracking that success and it makes you feel good. You just want to do more of that. That is that is great. And we're recording this in the middle of, of COVID-19 and obviously there's a lot going on balancing personal and professional life. But uh, when there is free time, what are some of the things that you like to do? Well, a hobby that I've renewed because of COVID-19, I hope to never give it up again. I've begun riding my bike again. So getting getting up in the morning, going on a 30-mile ride or 18-mile ride. I have a buddy who lives a couple of to- towns down from me who goes out on a long 70-mile ride on the weekends. And so I'm building up to that. And it's just, you know, doing the work we do, it's just great to get out under fresh air and get that time to decompress, you know, let your mind put things together. And and so I, I've lost weight. I think I've, I've lost 10 pounds and I just feel like I'm not riding my, when's my next ride going to be? So right after this call, I'm probably going to hop on the saddle and go out for an 18 mile ride before the sunset. So we're we're just kind of wrapping things up right now. Anything else we should know about you, Renee? I I love what I do. I love real estate because it allows you to be entrepreneurial. It allows you to network. I'm a self starter, so being able to take an idea and try to run with it, um, and say, hey, there's something here. And and sometimes you know, 
seeing something and, you know, just having belief that you could put something together is what makes real estate fun. I love this business. I love what I do. Uh, you know, I love being able to connect and network with people like you, Hal, and, you know, I hope to be in the business for a very long time. And one thing that we ask all our guests is one piece of advice you would give to other brokers. Communication. I think when, when I think about the hardest deal or the a moment where I had a ouch moment with a client, it was around communication, right? You have to communicate or over communicate. I'll tell you a quick story. So I did a deal with a financial company. They were international. So this was a firm that had an HQ in Australia and the Australian parent company acquired two US-based entities that they were bringing together. So I was working with two different presidents from different business lines. And so I would make, play telephone. I would tell something to one of the presidents and they'll get a call from the other one and make explain the same thing. And I would try to do everything on email, make sure that we were all seeing the same information. And there was one moment where our signals got crossed around the lease signing and the date, um, the start date of the rent. And it ended up eating into some of their free rent and they were pissed off. And I had to sort of, you know, swallow that. And I tried to fight with the landlord to get them an additional half month of free rent down the line, but it was a losing battle. And it all came down to communication because one president knew that as soon as the lease is signed, your free rent period begins on that date. The other one thought that their free rent began at when they moved into the space. So, and possession in the lease was linked to uh, lease execution. And I told them to make sure they talk to their attorney to make sure that works for them. And I believe that the president who was handling the lease didn't hire an attorney, did it herself because she, she did many leases. But the reality is in New York, every lease is different. And if you haven't done a New York City lease, it's a different animal. So that's why I always try to get all my clients to hire a real estate bro, real estate attorney, right? To make sure that those elements are buttoned up. Well, as a re real estate attorney doing commercial leases, I certainly think that that is great advice. And that is a wonderful note to end things on. Renee Hamilton, thank you for joining us on The Broker's Angle. Thank you, Hal. See you soon. That wraps up our interview with Renee Hamilton. For more, visit brokersangle.com or follow us on social media at Brokers Angle. And please feel free to email us at angle at brokersangle.com.